0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. It's round two of the playoffs. Series are getting underway. BetOnline has you covered as the final eight teams compete for basketball's ultimate championship. Head over to their website using the link in the description to this episode to get a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. Use the promo code BELIEVE, B L E A V to get a 50% welcome bonus. Bet online where the game starts. Alright everybody, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 116. Here on the Take It Easy podcast. Hope you all are having a fantastic weekend thus far. You're enjoying your mother's day or whatever else you do on Sundays. Hope you're doing great today. We've got a short little wired up today. It's not going to be a full length podcast. And I'm going to go against one of my tried and true rules of the podcast. Which is I don't do podcasts that don't age well after one day. If it's a podcast that's going to be a reaction to the day's events, probably good to just skip past it. The kind of format we figured out is talking to our friends is really fun. If I'm going to do a full-length podcast, it might include a John Oliver type of style where we have an A block that has one big topic of the day that we'll cover for 15 minutes. It's usually a bigger picture conversation because the day-to-day monotony of sports really doesn't matter all that much. That's something I've learned over the past uh, three years. not Well, really my entire life. It was a growing process from breaking the sports nostalgia and sports propaganda and using sports as a child to mask a whole lot of insecurities and pain and loneliness. I've broken a lot of that. I've said before about my revelation moment when, in early 2020, Christaps Porzingis was returning to the garden. And I was trying to make that day's events a big deal and... Well, it just wasn't, and that was the revelation that I realized. The NBA regular season really doesn't matter, and a lot of these regular seasons in sports don't matter. I've barely talked about the Padres so far this year, and the Padres are one of the best teams in baseball, and Manny Machado might be winning MVP. I just haven't had the time to watch them, because the regular season's kind of irrelevant, and there's so many sports, so many other things to just do in life, especially in a post-pandemic world. So, yeah, um, I'm going to break the rule today, and... Just talk about the NBA playoff series in the middle of the series, and I'm going to do my best to not contradict things I've said before because the problem with doing game to game analysis is that when you contradict yourself or change your mind mid series, you usually end up being wrong twice. And I've kind of already made that mistake with the Miami Philadelphia series, which I guess is the best place to start off because by the time you're listening to this, Miami Philadelphia have played game four. Not sure how game four goes down, but game Game three was on Friday. Philadelphia 76ers surprisingly got Joel Embiid back from injury. He got to wear the mask, and apparently the internet loves going crazy whenever someone wears the mask. It is, it is fun because it makes people look like they're Batman or whatever. It just People tend to have big games every now and then when they have the mask. Not everyone who wears a mask has a big game. It's just some people have big games while wearing a mask and that gets people excited. So Joel Embiid got to wear a mask because he has a face injury and a concussion, and it was funny to see him wearing a mask. I think we just like the idea of the mask because it's it's funny to watch people put on that type of equipment that doesn't really exist in any other sport. But anyways, Joel Embiid wears a mask. 76ers win by 20. Even though Jimmy Butler had 33 points for the Heat, he, he had 33 points. They still lost by 20. Um, the Miami Heat... I said after game two, we're going to win this series comfortably because Joel Embiid wasn't playing. And I still feel this way. I'm not going to jump the gun on Joel Embiid is back and now the 76ers are sixers in five much better than the Miami Heat because I thought going into the series, they were going to be incredibly evenly matched. And When series are evenly matched, I know we talk about the, the trading home court advantages thing a lot. The more likely scenario is when series are evenly matched, the road team has to split 1-1 at the other team's building for the first two games of the series. And the reason that's the case is because you're probably going to split games 3 and 4 back home. It's just most likely case. So the pressure, if you go down 0-2, the pressure's on you where you, technically speaking, with a few exceptions in NBA history, have to win... The next two games of the series and that's a lot of pressure regardless of home court advantage home court advantage doesn't really swing series that much it's scientifically proven to have some difference but not that level of a difference and so I still think that the Miami Heat are going to win this series rather handily as in it's not going to come down to a game seven where they're losing and in jeopardy of losing and they have to steal the series I think they're gonna win the series rather handily against Philadelphia. And the thing that doesn't make me want to pivot with the information that hey, the maybe league MVP is back in the series, and that's changing the entire landscape the same way Luca returning for Dallas completely changed the series against Utah. The thing that I looked at from that game was the Miami Heat scored seventy nine points. Like I haven't seen a playoff game with less than eighty points. Since that really weird Utah Jazz-Denver Nuggets game in the bubble that was a game seven where both teams, the final score was like 81 to 79 because both teams just played so poorly. And that's just one example. Like I can't think of a time someone scored 79 points in a playoff game. A playoff game that, by the way, Jimmy Butler had 33 points in. I can't emphasize just how insane it is that Jimmy Butler had 33 points and they still lost the game By uh, by third by 20 points and the Miami Heat just put down a dud and by the way that's going to happen when you don't have Giannis or Joel Embiid or even I mean Kevin Durant even went terrible this series so if you don't have one of those guys who can just get you a bucket every single game this is going to happen every now and then where Bama to is going to have nine points PJ Tucker is going to shoot poorly from the field Kyle Lowry is going to have zero points coming back from injury. Like, it, 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 as a team, they're going to shoot 23% from the three-point line. And if you take out Jimmy Butler's numbers, that's about 20% from the three-point line. So, yeah, this is going to happen every now and then. So the Heat just played a really shitty game. And when you're a jump-shooting team, that's going to happen. When you're a jump-shooting team who's not historically great, this is going to happen every now and then. Because, like we were talking about um, with... Drew Holiday on the Slump Buster Pod which you can check out from uh, this week over on the YouTube is like Drew Holiday needs to be a 45% shooter and in, in the absence of Chris Middleton sometimes that's going to be he shoots 55% from the field and sometimes he's going to shoot 35% from the field. It's going to average out to 45 in the long run. He's not shooting 45 every single game and by the way you don't want him to shoot 45% every single game. Have a game where Drew Holiday gives you 30 or 25 like he did against Boston in Game 3 is more impactful than the game where Drew Holiday is going to shoot 30% from the field like he did in Game 2 against Boston. It's more impactful for the game where he's going to shoot 55% from the field like he did in Game 1. Now in Game 3... Drew Holiday shot eleven for thirty, so it was just volume, 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 and still only got thirty-four percent, which we'll get to that game in a little bit. The thing that was interesting from Miami and Philadelphia is Miami just had a really bad game. It's gonna happen over a long series. Having Joel Embiid and James Harden will get you the one game that the Philadelphia or sorry, that the Miami Heat play really poorly. And it wasn't even the Miami Heat, it was all the Miami Heat except for Jimmy Butler. So Miami's gonna be fine, I think. I'm not overreacting from that, but great for the 76ers that Joel Embiid's back because it's going to make the series a hell of a lot more enjoyable as we keep going. Now for the Warriors, which is the flip side of historically great shooting team. The Golden State Warriors this year as a team were not the same level of three-point shooting as the championship teams, which is not a shocking thing to say. Like, Steph Curry was a 38% three-point shooter this year which is really good for a, an NBA basketball player especially at the volume that Steph Curry is shooting at the difference is Steph Curry during his MVP seasons was a 44 45 percent three-point shooter next year 41 42 44 and then last year 42 this year 38 and so Steph Curry isn't quite the same shooter that he was once upon a time, which means the Warriors aren't the same overwhelming offensive presence because it used to be Steph Curry could just get you a bucket offensively. Same thing with Klay Thompson. Klay Thompson in his pre-injury season, so 2015, 44% from three. Uh, 2016, 73 win season, 42.5, 41.5 in 2017, 44% in 2018, 40% in 2019 which was his lowest number of his career up to that point and then down to 38.5% coming back from injuries in the Golden State Warriors by the way if you had to guess where do you think the Warriors ranked in terms of points per game in the NBA this season out of the entire league 30 teams what do you think the Golden State Warriors placed offensively is it 3rd, 6th, ninth, 12th, 15th, that would be it actually, 15th. The Warriors were the 15th ranked offense in the NBA this past season in terms of points per game. And they had the 13th fastest pace in the NBA. So this is a different Warriors team than the Warriors teams were used to before. It's a defensive presence and, and was the best defense in the league in terms of player uh, in terms of efficiency rating. They finished third according to points per game allowed. The Warriors were first in defensive rating and 17th in the league in offensive rating. So it's a team that's built on defense that shoots and scores enough to get by, which by the way, is basically just the Boston Celtics. And I said the Boston Celtics were a team that would get bounced in the first round but only because they played Boston. Brooklyn is, or Boston is a team that's a should be a second-round exit. Golden State Warriors should be a second-round exit. The Western Conference is so weak this year that they should make the conference finals, and they blew past Memphis in Game 2. The same way I was amazed that uh, Miami scored 79 points in an entire basketball game, the Golden State Warriors had 80 points with like 9 minutes left in the third quarter. They had 102 points through three quarters. I've seen teams win playoff games with less than 100 points so far in the playoffs. There was one point in the third quarter of that game where Golden State had like 72% shooting from the field. And four different guys were already at 15 points and it was still the third quarter. Like Golden State opened a can of whoop-ass on the Grizzlies, and it looked like the Warriors teams that we were used to in the past, the Warriors teams that would score ridiculously large amounts of points during deep playoff runs, and Steph Curry would score 23 and three quarters, and they would have all these, At uh, Jordan Poole, who I guess he could swap that in for Harrison Barnes in the past, but Jordan Poole had 25 points, and the Warriors would whoop ass on teams And they look totally overwhelming. And so I liked watching game three because it was a throwback to that team that I fell in love with as a child because of how fun the basketball was. And the thing that I said in 2019 with when Kevin Durant was getting ready to leave. Basketball is never going to look like that again. There may be super teams. There may be versions of super teams. It's never going to look like what the Warriors were between 2017 and 2019. And neither does this version of the team, even at their very best against the Memphis Grizzlies. It doesn't make it less fun or more fun putting up 110 points in three quarters while shooting 60% from the field and Klay Thompson hitting one-footed three-pointers is really, really freaking fun. And the Golden State Warriors did all of that in Game 3 to kind of like revive the team that we once knew. And it's interesting because I hadn't watched much Warriors basketball up to this point I think I watched maybe one regular season Warriors game two games at the I watched the ends of two games against the Nuggets and also I was I was uh, at dinner I was kind of like TV watching the Warriors Nuggets game one on that first weekend of the playoffs and so I was watching not very much Warriors basketball it was under the illusion that like it's not the same Warriors team as before and still a team good enough to make it to the finals And Golden State's a defensively strong team that just gets by with enough offense. And part of that is Steph Curry not being the same offensive player he once was, which is, again, no shame to Steph Curry. Like, Steph Curry's now, what, 35 years old, 34 years old? At this, uh, 33, he's about to be 34. Steph Curry is coming off a year where he was almost MVP, 32 points a game, shooting 42% 42% from the field, and this year his three-point percentage dropped a whole bunch. He's taking slightly fewer shots, and this is how the game ages ever so slightly for Steph Curry. And the Warriors can still win with it, especially because the Warriors have done the thing that I give credit to the Miami Heat for in saying, like, this is a really good organization. Really good organizations find Jordan Pools. and they flipped... Now, essentially, we know from the end of this, the they flipped D'Angelo Russell who they got for Kevin Durant in, like, a sign-and-trade situation. They flipped D'Angelo Russell for Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga. And anytime I mention Con- Jonathan Kaminga, I have to mention his nickname, Cumbucket. So they got the Cumbucket and Andrew Wiggins for D'Angelo Russell, and both of those guys are incredibly competent players for the Golden State Warriors. Wiggins, I'd even argue, is a massive complimentary piece. Kaminga, not a huge piece of the offense. I mean, he plays like 17 minutes a game and plays pretty good defense. And also, in the absence of, I can't. Uh, I think it was Gary Payton maybe, but Kaminga got to start. He got to start game three for the Golden State Warriors. And that's a hugely valuable piece down the line for them. And, you know, credit to them for... Getting to use him in the way that they have, and we're not ready to talk about the fact that they (laughs) wasted that draft pick on James Wiseman. Still, though, like Golden State is in an incredibly, incredibly strong position at this point because they they went through the two years of trying to restock the cabinet and. You know, Otto Porter, nice little free agent signing here, keeping Kavon Looney, etc. Finding Damian Lees, who they can give value to. Finding Kamingas, finding Jordan Poole, Juan T. last year and less so this year. Like, those are the guys that keep adding value to the Golden State Warriors as they build this thing back up. And it's pretty cool to see it happen because when it all comes together perfectly... It's guys in the same uniforms and doing the same things as the 2019-2016 team. And when they're on, when Clay Thompson's hitting 20 points and shooting 75% from the field... Whew, it starts to look a little bit like that team we remember from 2015, 2016, which is going to go down as one of the weaker champions in NBA history. It just is the Kickstarter for a dynasty that we didn't really see coming because no one could have projected Kevin Durant was going to join the 73 win Golden State Warriors. Glad he did, just didn't really see it coming. Still very fun, still capable of making a deep run in the playoffs. They'll probably lose to Phoenix, but hey, Luka Doncic. See, uh, uh, by the way, about the Sun, I don't have much on Suns Mavericks game three. Do you see what happens when you just give Luka Doncic enough competent help? Like, when Luka Doncic doesn't have to put up 40 shots a game or 35 shots a game, you see how nice this can all look for the Dallas Mavericks? When Dorian Finney-Smith is giving you 14 and Jalen Brunson as a volume scorer is going for 28, Reggie Bullock, who I forgot was on the Mavericks, gives you 15. Maxi Kleber with 14. And Luka Doncic only has to put up a 26-point triple-double while shooting as a team 44% from the field. See how nice it is when Luka can just distribute to players that give him options? He can look like what we talk about with James Harden or what we talk about with Steph Curry. Problem is, these guys just aren't as reliable as the Heatles part of that might be that the Dallas Mavericks don't develop players as well and part of it might be that I mean they just didn't they just didn't pick the right guys. <laughs> they haven't picked the right guys around Luka yet. But look how fun it can be when you actually surround Luka Doncic with competent players who play well. They just don't play well consistently enough for the Dallas offense to succeed. Anyways, so last thing I wanted to talk about was the Milwaukee Bucks against the Boston Celtics. And I didn't watch this game except for the final 5 minutes of the game when Boston had come back and taken the lead after they were down 11 in the in the fourth quarter. And the same thing I said after game 1 is like when you're up 11 in the fourth quarter and you have Giannis Antetokounmpo, just give the ball to Giannis every single time and you will win the basketball game. You won't outscore the other team because it's not the most efficient offense in the world and Giannis isn't the greatest free-throw shooter in the world, you will do enough to beat the Boston Celtics nine times out of ten. And this was the tenth time, because the Boston Celtics... In the fourth quarter, like, we're on pace to score 43 points after the first six minutes of the quarter. They ended up scoring 34, by the way. Like, Boston had an amazing, amazing fourth quarter offensively. And Jason Tatum, uh, I mean, I'm just box score watching because, again, I didn't watch the start of the game. Jason Tatum had, like, six points and was shooting two for 14 from the field, which there's no way to say, like, oh, he was getting good shots and they just weren't falling. Like, at a certain point, that is a bad number. That is a bad, bad number. But also, Jalen Brown kind of went off a little bit, and he I think he was the big offensive piece that was leading the fourth quarter comeback. So when I picked up the game, the inclination that I got was basically, Boston shouldn't be in this game. Just box score watching, seeing that it was like a 15-point lead, and then it was an 11-point lead, and now at the end seeing Boston shooting 27% from three, even though the Bucks also shot 26% from three, like just in general, seems like a game that Boston didn't really belong in. And yet Boston right up to the end was, I mean, with under a minute to go was up one point and Milwaukee had the basketball and it was like 50 seconds left in the game. And they were right there to possibly steal a game in which they played poorly and I think part of the reason they were in it is because Milwaukee had 60 shots from Giannis and Drew Holiday. And yes, they scored, what would it be, 67 to 103. They scored just about 65% of the Bucks points. And yet, if they took 61 shots between them, they also took 61% of the Milwaukee Bucks field goals. From the field, because the Bucks took 99 shots from the field, and 61 of them were from Giannis and Drew Holiday. So scoring 65% of the points while taking 61% of the shots means it's an average game for the Milwaukee Bucks. So Boston was in it after playing poorly able to steal it that's basically the the indication that I got from not watching the start of the game if something's wrong there drop a review or a five, I uh, hopefully five-star review but just drop a review in the comments to let me know um, but basically when I pick up the game I see it's basically back and forth there's a few free throws here and there and then 100 to 99 Milwaukee gets the ball in Giannis's hands and Giannis does a euro step through Grant Williams and lays it in to put him up one point and this is the thing that I say all the time. For anyone who's listening who, who questions the idea of like picking it by stars once we get to the playoffs, Giannis Antetokounmpo is one of the two to three players in the NBA where you can say he is so physically gifted that when you say, go get me a bucket, it might take him two tries. Giannis Antetokounmpo can get you a bucket. And Giannis have finished this game with... 42 points, not an efficient 42 points, but still 42 points. It's hard to complain when someone puts up 42 points. Because an efficient 42 will win you every single game. A not efficient 42 will win you most games. (laughs) So... Giannis Adetokounmpo puts up 42 points because they just ran the entire offense through him. Grayson Allen, 0 points in 25 minutes. Wesley Matthews, 3 points in the game while he was in the starting lineup. Connaughton shot like 2 for 8 from the field. Okay, nothing is working. Let's just work the basketball through Giannis and through Drew Holiday and just scrape on by. And they were scraping by at the end. They played an average fourth quarter and at the end of the game... Got the ball in the best player's hands. And by the way, no one was arguing Jason Tatum was better than Giannis. So I'm not going to be the, see Giannis, this is what Giannis is all about. And Jason Tatum couldn't get it done at the end because Jason Tatum threw a layup off the bottom of the rim. Not going to do that thing. Because Giannis, we know Giannis can do that. We've seen Giannis do it so many times for four straight years of being the best basketball player in the world. And we just don't talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo like one of the all-time greats on a national discourse, for whatever the reason might be. I think part of it is Giannis Antetokounmpo, we do this to every star. It only takes them being around for a decade for us to become accustomed to the greatness or monotonized by the greatness. It's kind of like what LeBron was with the heat, It where we just kind of get numbed to the greatness That is Giannis at this point. And so Giannis has an inefficient 42. And yet we look past the fact that he could single-handedly get you 42. And Eurostep through Grant Williams basically. And win the game with a layup. And then get the ball to Drew Holiday. Who is going to lose the ball on a fumble by Jason Tatum. Like Jason Tatum and him both go to the ground a little bit. And the ball bounces free in a one-point game. And they were in such a deep isolation because the Bucs basically said at the end of the game, Drew Holiday is the closer. There's the famous quote Giannis said, like, he trusts Chris Middleton with every big shot. Chris Middleton is the closer. Well, now Drew Holiday is the closer in isolation. And Drew Holiday got close enough where Tatum slipped and he slipped, but he was able to get the ball back because everyone just went to the corners and sat in the corners and drew defenders away. Defenders collapsed. Not fast enough for the holiday to get it. And just floats up a little shot to go up three points. And when you're up three points, it feels good that you're going to win. It's not a guarantee. It just at least feels like you're going to win. And the Celtics did that little tip around at the end of the game that made it super fun and like super exciting for the last four seconds. Altogether, really fun basketball game. And the Bucks win an average game, which is the beauty of having Giannis, right? The beauty of having Giannis and the Bucks. They've got this down to a science over four years now. It's pretty much the same team. They've played over 200 games together, a bunch of them in the clutch, and they've figured out this science of how to win games at the end, even when Holiday and Giannis are playing average and have to take 61% of the shots. You win games where the Celtics play below average because think like we just said with the Drew Holiday thing earlier, the Celtics are going to play... Above average, some games like Game Two, and they're going to play below average in other games like today. It'll all average out to whatever the Celtics' median is, which, in my book, is a team that should lose in the second round of the playoffs because they don't have Giannis Antetokounmpo. Jason Tatum's a really great player. He's also not on Giannis Antetokounmpo. No shame in that. It's just going to how it's going to play out over a long series. I said Bucks in five and a half originally. Probably going to be about that. The smaller the sample size gets, though, the more randomness starts to come into play. And the Boston Celtics could pull off an upset. That's definitely still in the realm of possibility. I'm not saying it's over for Boston, even a little bit. It just means that they didn't win a game that they could have stolen because they played really poorly, and the Bucks let them stay in the game at the very end. Because Jalen Brown kind of took over once Jason Tatum started deferring at the end kind of like Devin Booker does sometimes, which is why I say I'd take Devin Booker to start my franchise over Jason Tatum, although it's a razor-thin margin. I'd be really happy with both. So that's it for Wired Up for me, NBA Playoff Recap Show. Call it an NBA Monday or an NBA Sunday, whatever you want to call it. We got more coverage coming at you. We're going to talk to Bob Nightingale of USA Today on Monday, and we're going to do a full-length Trevor Bauer podcast. I wanted to do that last week. Bob's best time of convenience was on Friday, so I just kicked that one down the road to Monday. We'll have that for you and a full Trevor Bauer breakdown on the Take It Easy podcast. So we'll talk to you tomorrow. Take it easy, everybody. I guess this has actually been Wired Up episode 116, but take it easy, everybody. Everyone should take it easy on this fine Mother's Day.